Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. This is the last message on the End Times Toolkit. And today I'm going to be sharing on three tools. Purity, purpose, and power. These are things that the Lord has put on my heart. And I believe that this is really what is going to prepare the body of Christ to go through whatever we are going through in these days and even in the more to come successfully without being destroyed. Now in Matthew chapter 24 verse 3, Jesus is asked by His disciples, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So it's a very specific question. What is a sign of the end of the age? And so Jesus begins to share about deception that will come, wars and rumors of wars and nations against nations and kingdoms and against kingdoms, earthquakes, pestilences, and so on. Now, many preachers and even Christians, they look at these and they say, wow, we are surely in the end times. But look at what Jesus says in verse 6. He says, all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. The end is not yet. So if you look from verse 4 to verse 14, Jesus is listing general signs, general events, general circumstances that will come upon the earth as a progress of the age, even before the end of the age starts. And we know that throughout history, we have been witnessing these in different intensities and frequencies, but this has always been happening throughout the ages. But then in verse 14, Jesus says something that is a little unique. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. So here Jesus is now directing his discourse to a specific point which begins in verse 15. So I'm giving you a little bit of eschatology or study of the end times before I go into my message. Verse 15, therefore, the word therefore in the Bible is always very important because it's always a conclusive statement that comes after the word therefore. So whenever you see the word therefore, you should always ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? Now, verse 14, Jesus says the end will come. And then in verse 15, he's changing the topic or the subject or pointing to a different point. So the word therefore connects the end that is to come with the sign that he's revealing in verse 15. Now before we go to verse 15, what end is Jesus referring to? For that we have to go to verse 3. Because the disciples ask, what is the sign of the end? So Jesus says, all these things will have happening. Wars and rumors of wars, hatred, division, persecution, pestilences, earthquakes. Even that what we are going through right now, pestilence over all the earth. All these are just the beginning of sorrows. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. So even the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom is an important sign. And then the end will come. That means the end of the age will come. Verse 15 is important because it's a sign that points to the beginning of the end of the age. And verse 15 he says, When you see the abomination of desolation, when you see, it's a specific sign that points to the beginning of the end. When you see, it's a specific sign where it will happen in a specific time, in a specific moment, in a specific place, spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, standing in the holy place. So Jesus describes that there is going to be a specific sign. The abomination of desolation which we understand now as the Antichrist, who will stand in the holy place, the temple in Jerusalem, and desecrate the place. Now this, Jesus says, you will understand if you study Daniel. Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 11 describes this event, that this will surely happen in the future. It's a prophecy. Now this is giving us a little practical problem because the temple is not there anymore. So many people would be thinking, well, I don't think this prophecy will be fulfilled because the temple is not there. So they say, many theologians, that this has already been fulfilled in AD 70 when the Roman armies, the legions, entered Jerusalem and they desecrated the temple. 
The only problem there is that the temple was already burned to the ground before the Roman soldiers scaled the city. Now, they would say that the temple is not there anymore, so how can this take place? Well, Israel was birthed as a nation in 1948. If that could be possible, what everyone said is impossible. For 2,000 years, the Jews dispersed in the nations. They came back as a nation, and the nation of Israel is birthed then why not the temple be built again? So it's very important to keep a watch on Israel as a timeline for eschatology or the end times. Now in Luke chapter 21, there's something that is mentioned which is different. Luke chapter 21 in verse 20, Jesus says, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that this desolation is near. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant. Woe to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon these people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. Captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. This has already taken place in AD 70 when Jerusalem was surrounded for seven months and then it was destroyed and the Jews were dispersed into the nations. They were exiled. They were sent to all the nations and Jerusalem was occupied by the Gentiles and even today, large part of Jerusalem is occupied by the Gentiles. So the times of the Gentiles have not yet been fulfilled. Now this is different from Matthew 24 and Mark 13. In Mark 13 and Matthew 24, when Jesus talks about the abomination of desolation, that is referring specifically to the Jews and the suffering that is described that will come after the abomination of desolation is specifically for the Jews. For the Jews. Not for believers. Because there is going to be an important event that will take place before this abomination of desolation is revealed. I want you to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And here we will discover what that event is. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. The day means the beginning of the end. When the Bible says the day of the Lord, it's not referring to a specific day. It's referring to a chain of events that begin with the revealing of the Antichrist till the final judgment. And all of that is really the beginning of judgment. So the day of the Lord is the judgment of Jesus Christ, but it's not a specific day. It's a chain of events. And the Bible says that day will not come unless... Very important. That means the Bible says something will happen before the beginning of the end. Unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Verse 4. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So, there is going to be something that happens before the Antichrist is revealed. Now, when the Antichrist is revealed, he's also going to do something very specific. He's going to exalt himself as God. But before that, there is going to be a falling away. Now, the word falling away, how it is interpreted is very important. It is the Greek word apostasia, which means defection from truth. But it comes from a root word called aphistemi, and this is described in two ways, defined in two ways. In the Little Scott Jones lexicon, the first definition is to defect or to revolt in a religious sense. That means departing from the faith. The second definition is simply departure, disappearance. To be removed spatially means geographically or in a relationship. I personally favor the second definition. This is my own opinion. You don't have to accept it. But the weight of scriptures, I believe, supports this. Why? The second definition. Because this verb is used 15 times in the New Testament. And of those 15 times, only three are used to do 
with a departure from the faith. The rest of the times, the word is used to mean departing from iniquity, from ungodly men, from the temple, from the body, and from persons. It's a departing. It's a departing. Not only that, the use of the definite article, the, the falling away, supports the notion that it's going to be a specific event that can be discerned, that can be described, that can be seen. Rather than an apostasy or a falling away of the church, which has been happening from the beginning of the church. There has been an apostasy always in the church. And even nowadays, there's widespread apostasy in the church of Jesus Christ. And it's not a specific event. It's a progress. It's a process that's been happening from the beginning of the church. But the definite article defines a specific event. So the rapture fits into this description the best. So this is just a brief. Before the destruction that Matthew 24 verse 15 onwards talks about comes, there's going to be an event and that is the rapture of the church. Harpazo, the catching away of the church. So if you are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, you do not have to fear going through the seven-year tribulation, also known as Daniel's 70-week, which has not yet come to pass. So there is going to be a seven-year tribulation. Of course, the main tribulation will be only on the last three and a half years wherein the Antichrist will persecute the Jews and then there will be tremendous tribulation. Matthew uses the word tribulation. Luke uses the word distress. So there is a difference. The Jews went through distress in AD 70, but there's going to be a tribulation that will come upon the earth at the revelation of the Antichrist. So the big point in all this, what Jesus says is, don't be deceived. Either by false prophets that talk about the end time and say that it has come or it's going to come. That was also being taught in the early church or about these last days being the last days whereas the sign of the last days has not yet come. Now, there is always great uncertainty in the interpretation of world events and how they are connected to the prophetical scriptures. But be at rest. Your salvation doesn't depend on how well you interpret the scriptures. Whatever position of the end times you hold, some people are pre-trip, they believe in the rapture. Some don't believe in the rapture. It's amazing. Whether your rapture belief is pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, it is not fundamental to salvation. For salvation, it's your faith in Jesus Christ by the grace of God. So be dogmatic on your belief on salvation, but don't be so dogmatic on the end times position that you believe because it is not fundamental to your eternal destiny. Amen? Having said that, there are more important scriptures for Christians to believe, to hold on to, and to take a position of faith in these last days. These are scriptures that deal with a heart and an attitude and a behavior. And it is more important than what we believe about the end times or eschatology or our position of rapture. And I've already been teaching you this because these beliefs are the end time tools. Number one, to have a love for the truth. To take a position of truth and to live your life based on truth. Number two, Love as a weapon, wearing love as an armor so that we are not consumed by the hatred and the bitterness of these last days, the offense. Number three, building strong relationships with the body of Christ. There will come in these last days a temptation upon the church for many to leave the church saying, I don't need the physical body, I'm part of the universal Christ. Many celebrity musicians and pastors have said that they're wrong. We need the body. You cannot do without the body because God always looks at the body of Christ, not as individuals alone, but as sheep together, as body, different parts together, as a family together. You need the body of Christ in these last days. So get hooked up with the church. Become a member, become a contributing part, get into fellowship. Don't be an independent Christian all by yourself. Number three, 
I'm sorry, number four. Build a faith that endures. To endure means to remain, to stay, to persevere in the midst of suffering and crisis, to be calm and yet to overcome. Not to give up on the faith. Not to depart from the faith. Endure. Endure the pain. Endure the confusion. Endure even all the different teachings and different positions people hold. Hey, the main thing is remain in your faith in Jesus Christ and do not let go of Him. Hallelujah. So I'm going to give you three more tools today. Number one is purity. Number two, purpose. Number three, power. Let's look at purity. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Oh, Shidalabari again. I'm going to pray for healing at the end. And I believe many of you are going to get healed. So stay in faith and feel free to send a link to someone who needs healing because they need today to hear from the Lord for their sickness. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days. Scoffers are people who mock God, who mock the word. You know, Jesus says lawlessness will abound. That means there will be widespread dishonor towards God and His Word. And there are already people, not only in the West, even here in Nagaland, who mock testimonies, who mock the Word of God. They are walking according to their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And there are many Christians who say this. Jesus says He's coming. Where is He? In the revival in the 70s, people were saying, Jesus is coming. Where is He? The world is getting worse and worse. We're dying here. And they're just throwing up their hands in despair. And that is what Peter says will go through even among the church. For this they willfully forget that the Word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. Peter saying, trust in the Word because the Word created everything by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same Word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Beloved, do not forget this one thing. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. So God does not see time as we. We go through our years and we think it's long. But for God, it's just a blip. A thousand years is just one day. So since Christ was resurrected, there have been two days looking at it from this perspective. Two thousand years. We are now in the third day. And of course, Hosea says that on the third day, He will raise up the church. So I believe we are closer to the end. Verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness. God is not delaying it. Everything is working on clockwork. So just trust in the Lord. But His long-suffering towards us. Whatever delays you may think at the coming of Jesus is not because He is lazy. It's because of His grace towards us. He's giving time for us to preach the gospel and for the world to repent. But look at verse 10 now. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, which means all of us will be unawares and we don't know when He will come. Like I said before, the day of the Lord is not a specific day. It's a chain of events that begin with the revelation of the Antichrist and it ends here in says in verse 10, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Underline that. Holy conduct and godliness. Looking for and hastening the coming of the Lord, of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. With fervent heat. You know why it's important to study prophecy? This is a prophetical scripture. Because prophecy will cause us to praise God. Number two, it will cause us to be prepared for the things to come. Number three, it will give us understanding in the midst of the suffering. People are perplexed around the world what is happening. But as Christians, we are not to be perplexed. We know exactly what is happening. These are the last days. It's not the end yet, but these are the times of tribulation that leads to the last days. Number four, we will pray because of what is happening that we see in prophecy. And number five, very important, purity. Prophecy will cause us to walk in purity. 
In 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 to 3, I want you to turn in your Bibles. John says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, that means Jesus is revealed in all His splendor, glory, and majesty, in His resurrected form, we shall be like Him. So we don't know exactly what kind of spirit body we will possess in the end, but we will be just like Jesus, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope, that word hope means expectation. Every believer who has this hope that Jesus is coming back, the Bible says, purifies himself just as he is pure. If you have a genuine faith that Jesus is coming back, you will clean up your life. You will live in holiness. I've read of Christians who are preparing for the end time in the West, even in Africa, and even in Asia, in parts of Malaysia, preparing for the end times. How? They're selling their homes in the cities, buying land in the farmlands, in the wilderness. They're stockpiling food and arms. They're adopting a fortress mentality, preparing for the end times. I've also heard some Christians say, well, Jesus is coming back anyway. We don't need houses. We don't need cars. We don't need jobs. We don't need all these investments. We don't need all these things. Let's just wait for Jesus to come. And they get into deep speculation, trying to decipher world events. And then they end up into error. Harold Camping, a well-known preacher, in America, end-time preacher, predicted Jesus will come back in 2011. And with that, led many astray. Many keep on predicting. What does the Bible say? How we prepare for these end times. Peter gives us a very direct, straightforward answer. He says, with reference to the end times, he's not suggesting Christians run to the hills, caves in the mountains. Some believers bought caves in Malaysia many years back, preparing for the end times. The Bible does not say to Christians, adopt a fortress mentality, stockpile food and weapons. No, the Bible is saying here, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the Lord? If you see the end approaching, the Bible is saying, how excellent do you need to be in your conduct? Peter says, end-time Christians are called to do one thing. They are to practice holiness and live godly lives. How? By looking to the coming of the Lord in anticipation of Christ's return. If your master tells you, I'm coming to the house, you're going to get up and start cleaning the house because your master doesn't want to come to a dirty house. So when you're looking to the coming of the Lord in anticipation, you're going to clean up his house. Your body is his house. Hallelujah. Now, today we see in the church of Jesus Christ great interest in the end times, but also careless living. Many Christians would say, Oh, we're waiting for the Lord to come, but then they live carelessly. The question is not whether you're waiting for the Lord to come, looking to his appearance. The main question is, How are you living down here? Because how you're living down here reveals whether you really believe He's coming. If you really believe your master is coming, you will clean the house. But if you say, I'm waiting for the master, I'm waiting for the master, I'm waiting for the master, but you're not cleaning your house, you are not in faith. So understand this. The purpose of revelations, the purpose of Daniel's, the prophetical scriptures, it is not for speculation, but for motivation. Let me say that again. The purpose of prophetical scriptures is not for speculation, but for motivation. To motivate us to live for God. It's unfortunate that Christians should run from conference to conference, video to video, book to book, making charts about the end times, trying to decipher world events, and yet not live for God in the day-to-day -day lives. God wants us to live holy lives. The word holy comes from the Hebrew word kadosh, which means to cut. It means to separate. It means to be different from everything else. It means to be in a class apart. It also means to be morally poor. Pure. Not poor, P-O-O-R, but pure, P-U-R-E. Pure desigi. 
All right? Pure. God wants you to be pure. God wants us to be separate from the world. God wants us to cut off from the things of the world. In other words, purity is a weapon. Purity is a weapon that will preserve you in these last days for what is coming upon the earth. What are we supposed to be cut off from? Let me not list you behaviors because then people keep on adding more behaviors. Every culture keeps on adding, well, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about movies? What about Tamil? What about coffee? What about, you know, they keep on adding those things. But let me just give you three principles and if you understand the principles, you will understand how to apply it in different behavioral contexts. Number one, anything that hinders your relationship with God, cut it off from your life. If it's a boyfriend, cut him off. A girlfriend, cut him off. Number two, anything that quenches your spiritual thirst, anything that makes you lose your zeal for prayer, your love for God, your zeal for the Word of God, anything that makes you lose your zeal for coming and getting the Word of God in Bible studies, cut it off. It may not necessarily be sinful things. Sometimes it may just be a cause of priority. Anything that makes you lose your zeal for God, cut it off. Number three, anything that takes away glory from Jesus, cut that off. These three principles, if you will apply it, then you are able to apply it into different, different contexts and ethical situations you face day by day. All right? That will cause you to walk in purity. Let me give you five benefits of purity. Number one, it will cause you to be intimate with God and build your spiritual strength and stability. I've always found in the body of Christ that people who walk in holiness also have great strength, boldness, and confidence. Whereas those who walk with compromise are always weak in the faith. Number two, purity will make you effective, useful for God. Whereas if you walk with carelessness, careless living, you're not effective for the kingdom of God. Number three, purity in your life will cause people around you to glorify God. Purity is attractive. Did you know that? It makes the gospel attractive. Number four, purity will prosper you. Prosper you. A godly life will cause you to live prosperously. See, when people live sinful lives, they use sin. Sin causes them to use the money in wrong ways. So, Sinful life corrupts, it decays. It has consequences even in the generations. But purity prospers. And number five, a life lived for the world. That means if you are a genuine Christian, but you're careless with your life, you're not interested in holiness, you want to compromise with the world and still believe in God, you may not lose your salvation. I say may because you may not be genuinely born again. But if you're genuinely born again, you won't lose the salvation. But you'll be like Lot, Lot, Abraham's nephew, who went to Solomon Gomorrah, believer in Christ, but lived in the world among the people of sin. When the destruction came on Solomon Gomorrah, he did not die. But he lost everything, including his wife, his houses. He lost everything and he entered, in a sense, into heaven naked. So if you are living carelessly, you may not lose your salvation, but you will enter into eternity naked with nothing to show, no rewards. But a life lived in purity will be filled with eternal riches. The Lord said this to my heart. Tell them, don't think of holiness as a grudging discipline. Don't think of holiness as being deprived of fun and pleasure. No, think of holiness in purity as a weapon, as an armor that you put on your life for your preservation. The second tool for today, purpose. Everyone say purpose. Now turn with me to Mark chapter 13. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. There's somebody here, you are depressed. It's like a vice, a chain, even upon your brain, your mind. But as you're listening to the word, you're being set free. It's like happening in degrees. You're experiencing more peace, more peace and more peace. And by the end, you're going to be completely free in your mind. Mark chapter 13, look at verse 33. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country, that's Jesus, who left his house, that's us, the church, 
and gave authority to his servants, we, and to each his work. First word to keep in mind here, work. And commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore. Second word is the word watch. For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly, like a thief in the night, he find you sleeping. Third word, sleeping. 37. And what I say to you, to the disciples, Jesus says, I say to all. So these words are for all. All of us. And he's saying, watch. Three words to look here. Number one, work. What does this mean? Every Christian has been given work to do. Every Christian. Not just the pastor, evangelist, deacons. Every Christian. Oh, I was just born again yesterday, pastor. You have assignment that God wants you to fulfill on the earth. Every Christian has a ministry. Every Christian has something to do. There is a purpose that God wants you to fulfill on the earth. The second word is watch. The word watch means not just watching for His coming. Watch over your assignment. Watch over your keti. God has given each one of you your own keti, your own field. It's your assignment on the earth, your purpose. Watch over it. Be faithful in it. Number three, sleeping. That means to be distracted, to be lazy. Not focus on your purpose. The master doesn't want to come and see his servants sleeping. And that's why he says, watch. What does end time Christians need to be watchful over? Very simple. The purposes of God. The purposes of God. More than speculating on events at this moment, world events, being distracted. The Spirit of God is saying to you today, be focused on the purposes of God. Some Christians spend more time studying about Illuminati, watching those videos. It's just to, you know, it's just tickling your mind. There is no benefit there. It's not building your faith. Rather than studying the purposes of God for their life or doing the purposes of God. In eternity, let me tell you this. You will be rewarded not because you have perfect theology. You will be rewarded because you fulfilled His purpose on the earth. Hallelujah. Now, Matthew 24, if you read that, Verse 12 to 14 onwards says that there will be lawlessness. That means there will be widespread disregard for God and for morality. The love of many will grow cold. There will be widespread lukewarmness in the church. And all the other occurrences, earthquakes, pestilences, wars, hatred, persecutions, and so on, will be distractions to the believers. Distractions. How will it be a distraction? I've seen Christians throw the hand up in the air and say, what's the use of all this? What's the use of serving? What's the use of living godly? There's so much death and pain. Some people say, there's so much evil and injustice. I just feel like everything is hopeless and meaningless. Throw the hand up in the air and they just give up. In the midst of such distractions, especially, not just things that are happening, but the distress that will come upon your soul, your mind, your emotions, it's important that you have enduring faith because enduring faith must be connected to your purpose. It's not just to endure and bear the pain. There's a purpose. You see, you don't use your faith to avoid pain when pain is allowed. Don't use your faith to avoid pain, but to persevere. Don't use your faith only to gain a life of comfort and pleasure. Many Christians are only doing that. They're using their faith to only believe for more house, more money, more pleasure, avoid pain. No, don't use your faith to avoid pain and to get comfort, pleasure. No, use your faith to live a life of purpose. The more important use of faith is to live a life of purpose. And how can you do that? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 tells us. It is called living with an eternal mindset. Everyone say eternal mindset. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. If you're getting wrinkles, you're getting old, don't lose heart. The Bible says, don't be discouraged. All right? There was a preacher that was walking on the street one day, and someone came and asked him, How are you doing? 
He was 80 years old, hobbling on the streets. This young man comes up to him and says, how are you doing? He says, I am doing very well. I've always been doing well. But this tent, this house where I live is getting older. It's getting weaker. And I think my time has come to leave this tent. But as for me, I have always been doing well all the days of my life. What he meant is that the real man is on the inside. The real man never does badly. Your body may be getting old, wrinkly. However, the Bible says, do not lose heart. Even though your outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. You are the inward man, now the outward man. Therefore, do not lose heart. For a light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Whatever you're going through on the earth is a light moment. Your gains or your failures, your success, your victories or your losses, all of that, the Bible says, is just a blip in the radar. It's just a brief momentary thing. So Paul says, don't look on the outside, look on the inside, the inward man. And then in verse 18, he says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We look at the things which are not seen, which is eternal. Keep your eyes on the eternal. Keep your eyes on the important thing, the spirit things, the eternal things, the outward things, the body things, success, failure, are all momentary things. Keep your eyes on eternity. Keep your eyes not on what you see. This is a very important truth to go through every pain, every circumstance, everything in life. Don't look at what you can see. There's a greater reality beyond what you cannot see. It is invisible, but it is still true. It is there in the Bible. It's called the kingdom of God. So we must learn to live life looking at what we cannot see. That is how you overcome depression. That's how you overcome your calamities. That's how you overcome the sadness in your heart. Look at what you cannot see. When you lose a loved one, somebody has died. And we look at the loss. We look at the departure. We look at the absence. But the Bible says, look at what you cannot see. Look at the arrival in heaven. Look at them rejoicing in heaven. Live life looking at eternity on things above. Now what does it mean? It means this. When you live life for eternity, choose to do things that impact eternity. In other words, only the things that you do for God will remain in eternity. Everything else is momentary. It's just a blip. So live for eternity means live for the purposes of God. Even when you see the natural is perishing and decaying, live for the purposes of God. Keep on looking to the purposes of God. Don't let the happenings around distract you from the purposes of God. The purposes of God must be central and focused in your life. You're hearing this is happening, that is happening, the economy is falling, earthquakes. Push all of that aside and keep on looking to the purposes of God. What's the purpose of God? Fellowship, worship, service, love, discipleship, preaching the gospel. In other words, keep doing good. Keep praying, keep praising God, keep reading the Bible, keep being discipled, join seminars, keep growing, keep loving one another, keep serving, keep ministering, keep praying for the sick. Keep being a godly father and a godly mother, which involves also preparing for the future. Don't throw up everything in the air and say, there's no need to invest, no need to buy land, no need to give good education to my children because they're going to, we're all going to die anyway, we're going to go up to heaven. No, that's stupidity. Even if Jesus will come tomorrow, I should live today as if he's going to come in many years in the future. And I have to be faithful to his purposes to build his kingdom on the earth. To build his kingdom on the earth. See, how we live life, building his kingdom on the earth reflects whether we believe he's coming back. Many people are only speculating about end times, but they're not building the kingdom of God on the earth. Build your children for a life of influence, not to escape from all these sorrows in the end times. Build them to influence this end time sorrows with the wisdom and the faith rather than escaping to the mountains. 
But then in verse 14 of Matthew 24, there's one main purpose that is revealed. Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom, this good news of the kingdom shall be preached in all the nations and then the end will come. God wants us to be focused on the main purpose, the preaching of the gospel in all the world, in all the world. This is what's happening around the world and this is what the church must focus more and more. Even the purpose of revival is the preaching of the gospel. It's not just for us to have a good time in the presence of God, being blessed, being touched, falling, getting healed. No, it's for the preaching of the gospel to the nations. And there are many, millions, probably even billions of people that have not yet heard the gospel of the kingdom. They've heard about Christianity as a religion, but not the gospel of the kingdom. And therefore, we must get busy. This is the main interest of the Father. This is the harvest the Father is looking for. This is what we must focus. I want you to look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. Paul says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul is saying, the inconvenience of prison that I've gone through. He wrote this in prison. The pain of my suffering, it is working for the preaching of the gospel. He's saying, I'm not distracted. Prison does not distract me. The pain does not distract me. It is actually working out for the preaching of the gospel to further the gospel. In other words, Paul used each and every means to preach the gospel. He got beaten up. Well, praise God. If you can use that testimony to preach the gospel, then he's going to do it. He got in prison. Praise God. If I'm going to use this to preach the, test, uh, to preach the gospel, then let me do it. And he preached to the prison guards. Whatever circumstance of life he was in, he was always focused on the gospel, the preaching of the gospel. In jail at Philippi, beaten Silas and Paul, when the earthquake came, he preached the gospel to the jailer. Keep that as a main focus. And how can you do that? Number one, pray for souls right now. Don't just pray for COVID to leave. Pray for souls to be saved. Number two, give towards soul winning and missions. See, when Christians are all the time praying, COVID leave, COVID leave, Lord, let COVID leave, it betrays that our faith is used only for our preservation and our protection. But for Paul, it did not bother him whether he was in jail, whether he was beaten. He said, as long as I'm doing the purpose of God, I cannot be destroyed. They can stone me. They can beat me. I can be shipwrecked. I'm focused on the purpose. I cannot be destroyed. He left when he wanted to. Of course, he was beheaded, but he knew that was his time. Because he said, I finished the race. I fought the fight. But we are more concerned, Christians, about our comfort, about avoiding pain. There's a problem in our faith when all the time you're trying to avoid pain. Avoid discomfort. Purpose is greater. Give towards soul winning, mission works. Witness to your friends' media. So right now, share this. Even right now, you can share YouTube link, Facebook. Share it. You are part of the missionary purpose of media. You can be part of the media missionary. It's not just me. You, simply by sharing this, somebody's going to get healed today. Number four, go yourself when the Lord calls you to go to the mission field. Hallelujah. The third tool for today is the power of the Spirit. And I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And some of you will get filled with the Holy Spirit today. If you are not speaking in tongues yet, believe to receive even this morning as we pray for you. God can fill you with the Spirit. There was a testimony last Sunday that when I was preaching, the presence of the Lord filled this brother's room and he got healed. Because the power of God touched his body. Acts chapter 4 verse 31. And when they had prayed, the early church, Peter, John, and all those early believers, 
The place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit was always released upon the early church. Of course, the Holy Spirit is not a weapon. He is a person. But yet, the empowerment, the anointing, the filling of the Holy Spirit was like a weapon for them that shielded them from the pain, the fear, and the persecution and gave them boldness from within to preach the word. Look at what happened before this event. Verse 3. They laid hands on them, Peter and John, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So they beat Peter and John because they preached the gospel. Look at verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now, let me give you a little bit of Bible interpretation here. Prophecy is always in degrees. It happens and it's going to happen in a greater degree in the future. So here we see a type. The early church is a type of the end time church. So we're going to see miracles, signs and wonders like the early church, but in greater. At the same time, the persecution the early church went through is a foreshadow of the last day's church. Persecution is going to go together with glory. So what they went through in the early church foreshadows what we will go through in the last days. And so if the Holy Spirit was applied abundantly to the early church so that in the midst of threatenings and imprisonments and beatings, they're filled and they're bold to speak the word of God, even so in this last day church, you and I, we need the Holy Spirit, not just a little drop once in a while, but to be filled every day. Because we are also going to be imprisoned in various parts of the world. We are going to be told not to preach in the name of Jesus. What do we do? Very simple. Pray and the Holy Spirit will fill us and we'll be bold to speak the truth, to preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And there are many stories, testimonies of believers in Romania, under communism, in Russia and China, who when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm not talking about the church that does not believe in the Holy Spirit and tongues, but in the church that believes in the Holy Spirit and tongues, they were the ones that were bold to preach and they're the ones that grew and multiplied under communism. Whereas the church that was recognized became the state church, they, they, they compromised. They became weak because they were not filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts chapter 7. Before that, I want you to look at Acts chapter 6, verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So, note that. Stephen, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. They go together. You cannot separate faith and the Holy Spirit. If you're full of, full of the Holy Spirit, you'll be full of faith. If you're full of faith, you will always have the Holy Spirit. They're always together. Together. Because the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with faith. And when you're full of faith, you're always hungry for the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 7 verse 54. Stephen preaches. They want to stone him now. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen, gazed into heaven. He was not afraid. He did not revile back in return. He did not insult back. He did not fight back. Saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord, cast him out of the city, stoned him. They stoned him. They stoned him. None of us have ever been stoned, so we don't even know what this feels like. But I remember that sometimes little pebbles have come upon me. And I tell you, it's not fun. It hurts. Even just to knock your knees on the table, it, it hurts. Stop your toe. Imagine being stoned. Not just once, twice. Hundreds of times. People stoning you till you die. And yet Stephen did not flinch in his faith. Look at verse 59. As he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. 
do not charge them with this sin. In the midst of being stoned, he has grace, humility, dignity, faith. That is not defeat. It is victory. See, for the Christian, death is not a loss. It is always victory. To remain on the earth is a victory. Even to die, if it happens, is a victory. It's a win-win situation. And we do both with faith. But the point is this. Stephen was full of the Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. If you take a ball right now. Imagine I have in my hands a ball. It is full of air. And if I bounce it, it will come back up. If I bounce it, it will come back up. That means a person full of the Spirit. Whatever circumstances of life may try to push you down, you will always bounce back up. But imagine a football that has no air. But it looks like a ball and it can even look round, but it has no air. Maybe some of you have it in your own house right now. And if you take a ball without air and you hit it on the ground, it doesn't bounce up. It just makes a lousy sound and stays down there. That's a Christian who's not full of the Spirit. He looks like a Christian, talks like a Christian, seems like a Christian because he's a ball, but there's no air. There's no fullness of the Spirit within. So when the life, pressures of life come and push down, they remain down. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Whether you are from a Baptist church, revival church, Catholic church, oh, that's not for me, baptism, Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. Don't be foolish to say those things are not for you. It's in the Bible. It's for every believer. The Holy Spirit, His fullness is for every believer. Let me even say this, that you may not be able to survive the last days without the fullness of the Holy Spirit filling you. And that's why tongues become so important as a discipline of prayer, as a gift in these days. Because when we pray in tongues, we get stirred up, we get built up, we get full of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Tongues is not foolishness. Tongues is a weapon. How the Holy Spirit is important is because all these tools that I showed you is really what the Holy Spirit connects together. The Holy Spirit helps us in the use of all these tools. See, when you are full of the Spirit, the Bible says in John chapter 14, verse 17, He is the Spirit of truth. That means don't rely on your own ability to find truth. Yes, study, but the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. So even the truth that we need in these days, the Holy Spirit will lead us into it. Romans 5 verse 5 says, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So even the ability to stay in love, loving God, loving a neighbor, loving those who hate us, it will be by the Holy Spirit, not our own love, not human love. Number three, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, the Bible says, by one Spirit, we are baptized into the body. That means the Holy Spirit will always impel you, push you to be connected to the body of Christ. If you are saying, Oh, I have the anointing. I have the Holy Spirit. I don't need to be connected to the body of Christ. I can be on my own. You have the wrong spirit, brother. It's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not going to take you away from the church. The Holy Spirit is always going to bring you back to the church. The local church? Yes, the local church. Not the spiritual church. The spiritual church, yes, you are part of it. But yet, you don't receive the life, the counseling the love, the praise through the spiritual church. You receive it through the local church and through the local church, you are connected to the spiritual church. So if you say that the Spirit of God is leading you away from the local church, you are receiving from the wrong spirit. Wrong spirit. Wrong spirit. Wrong spirit. No, 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 no. Wrong spirit. Number four, Ephesians 3 verse 16. Strengthened with all might in our inner man by the Holy Spirit. Enduring faith, again, is a product of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. 
you shall receive dunamis, power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. A holy life, a pure life, is what the Holy Spirit produces. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It is not fruit of our willpower. There's no such thing as willpower fruit in the Bible. Goodness, love, self-control. It is not willpower. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The more you yield to the Spirit, the more self-control, the more purity, the more holiness will come out of your life. And lastly, here and the ends of the earth. The preaching of the gospel, again, when you're full of the Spirit. I've always observed in the body of Christ, those who are full of the Spirit have a greater zeal to preach the gospel than those who just have an intellectual faith. They may have a lot of theology. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have a passion to share the gospel. But people who don't have theology, they are so full of the Spirit, they are so burdened for the lost. When you're full of the Spirit, you'll be burdened for the lost. When you're full of the Spirit, you will have a heart and a passion to share the gospel. So ask yourself this question. Why am I not having a passion to share the gospel? Probably because you are not living a life full of the Spirit filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. You are not yielding to the Spirit. Selfish faith comes from the self. Selfless faith comes from the Holy Spirit. The disciples were filled with the Spirit and they wanted to preach. Filled with the Spirit, they wanted to preach. Paul filled with the Spirit. He says, oh, I wish I was cut off so that my brethren, Israel, will come back to the Lord. His heart was filled with compassion. For the lost. Because it was full of the Spirit. You say you're full of the Spirit, but all you want is a new car and a new house and, 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 and all the good things for yourself and you don't have a heart to preach the gospel. I don't know what kind of spirit you got filled. Probably it's not the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So these seven tools, truth, love, relationships, enduring faith, purity, purpose, and the power of the Spirit. Build your life on this every day. See them not as disciplines that you do grudgingly. See them as weapons that you must put on to be victorious, to be protected, preserved, kept safe and sound in these days. Hallelujah. But if you are not born again yet, you cannot use these tools. These are not things that just happen because of what we do on the outside. It's because of a reality on the inside. You may be a Christian by name, going to church, having Bibles in your house, having a certificate, but those are only things on the outside. The main thing is your inward reality. As Jesus told Nicodemus, are you born again? Are you born with the Spirit? If you're not born again, all of these tools have no meaning for you because you're going to die and go to hell. So if you are not born again, I want to invite you right now to give your life to Jesus. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. So come. If you want to give your life to the Lord right now, I want you to say this prayer after me. Hallelujah. Say, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I give my life to you right now. I believe in Jesus that He died for my sins. I believe that He rose from the dead. And I believe that He is the only way to salvation. And right now, I receive Him as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, I invite you into my life. Be my Lord. I accept you, your finished work. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Give me your gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, right now I receive. Amen. If you have said that prayer, you're already born again. If with faith in your heart, simplicity of your sincerity, you're born again. Contact us. We want to help you. Or just put... In the comment section, I receive Jesus right now. Secondly, now I want to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So right now, if you want to be filled with the fresh touch of the Holy Spirit right now, wherever you are, just lift up your hands. I'm going to pray over you and I'm believing that the Holy Spirit is going to give you fresh infilling, fresh refreshing right now. Understand this. There is no distance in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there with you right where you are. God wants to fill you. It is His will. So lift up your hands right now and receive. Open up your mouth. The Lord is saying, open your mouth and He will fill it. So open your mouth right now. Lift up your hands in the name of Jesus. Father, I ask that you will fill your people with a fresh touch, a fresh presence, a fresh anointing, a fresh refreshing of your Holy Spirit right now. Be filled in Jesus' mighty name. Receive right now His anointing. Receive His presence. Some of you will feel in your heart some words to pray. Tongues, come forth in Jesus' name. Tongues be released right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Now begin to speak in tongues. Begin to worship in tongues. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do it. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.